The following message, entitled, Christ Our Cornerstone, Part 27 of the series, A Righteousness of God, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 23rd of November, 2014. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. We just ask you, Lord, to please open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see wonderful things in your word this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you speak to us by your word, by your spirit, and we ask you to do that through your word, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us and build us up. I pray you would give hope to the hopeless. I pray you would give us joy through your word, Lord. I pray that we could, could go out of here today saying what an incredible Savior we have. Lord, so we just thank you. We ask for your help. We ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, please turn to Romans chapter 9, and we will start at verse 30. Romans 9, verse 30 through 10, 4 is our section today. And so it begins with, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God... And seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This passage is a really important one. It's really important that we understand this and grasp this this morning. This can make the difference in your life. We hear the word righteousness in this passage. What is righteousness? A lot of people use the word righteous, and it's not, they don't use the word righteous in the way that it's meant here. We, we, there's a, um, there's a company that roasts coffee called Righteous Roasters. Now, I happen to know that the, the guy who owns that company is a Christian, so he is righteous. But it's a term that's just we just use. We say, man, that was a righteous guitar solo that Barry played this morning. Well, that's not the kind of righteousness this is talking about. What is righteousness? Verse 30 says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. What is this righteousness they have? Can we have it? Righteousness is the state of being acceptable to God or right with God. But listen to this. 
the only people who are acceptable to God and accepted by God are those who are perfectly righteous. In other words, have no sin. This righteousness that this is talking about is the perfect righteousness of God. This is divine righteousness. Now, we can get this, but this passage tells us how we can attain the divine righteousness of God. And that's very important because when, when we die, when I die, I want to be sure I'm acceptable to God. Because only those who have the righteousness of God will be able to go into heaven. God's righteousness is not like human righteousness. People tend to think of themselves as pretty good. I don't know of anyone who would say they are perfect and have never sinned, but most people think, you know what? I'm a pretty good guy. I do more good than bad. You know, if we took a survey and asked most people, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die, if you believe in heaven? They'd say, yeah, because I've done more good things than bad. I have done funerals for people who did not believe in Jesus. They don't go to church. They don't believe in Jesus. But when they die, they want to have a funeral. And maybe I've known them in in some past connection or whatever. And so I've done funerals. And at funerals for people who never believed in Jesus, people will say, family members and friends, if they have an opportunity to share, they'll say, oh, he was such a good man. He would give you the shirt off his back. If you needed anything, he'd be right there to help. Well, the only problem is God says that in and of ourselves, none of us are righteous. None of us have the perfect righteousness of God. None of us has divine righteousness. We may have a kind of human righteousness, but none of us has this divine righteousness. And so earlier in Romans, Paul said, Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous. None is righteous. No human being is righteous, no matter how many good things they do, no matter how loving they are, no matter how many little old ladies they help across the street. No human being is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now this is offensive to people. This is offensive. It's so hard for us to hear because people say, hey, hey, I do good things. Yesterday I was in the Walmart parking lot and I helped a little old lady put her groceries in the car. Well, we, we do things that are okay and good and right, but they don't achieve the righteousness of God. You say, hey, I pay my taxes. I take my kids to Little League games. Heck, I even go to church every week. That doesn't make us righteous. That does not give us divine righteousness. We may say, hey, compared to lots of other people, I'm pretty darn righteous. Compared to my neighbor, if you knew my neighbor, you'd say I was righteous. Well, the only problem is we can't compare ourselves to other people. We have to compare ourselves to God. And here's what the Bible says. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. 
We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Another way of saying polluted garment would be filthy rags. So it's like saying our deeds that we think are righteous compared to the perfect divine righteousness of God. If you were to say, okay, here's my garment of good deeds. When compared to God's holiness, it would be filthy. That's like Isaiah the prophet. He was the prophet of Israel, but when he got a glimpse of the holiness of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, when Isaiah compared himself to God, the prophet, the prophet whose lips spoke for for God, he realized compared to the holiness and righteousness and perfection of God... I have, my lips are unclean. Everybody else's lips that I live with are unclean. I'm no better than anybody else. He says, I'm lost. But Paul says the Gentiles, non-Jews, attained righteousness. Somehow they got it. Somehow they got the righteousness of God. He says in verse 30, what shall we say then? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. What? They weren't even looking for God's righteousness. They weren't out there saying, how do I get righteous? They didn't even care about it. They weren't trying to earn it by keeping the law or by their works like the Jews were, but they got it somehow. How did they get the righteousness of God? And many of you would say, I was, I was the same way. I wasn't even looking for God's righteousness. I didn't care about being righteous as God. I, all, all I cared about was partying. All I cared about was going to concerts. Joe Ryer, one of our pastors, he wasn't looking for the righteousness of God, and he was at a Grateful Dead concert, and God began to apprehend him. See, the Gentiles weren't looking for it, But they attained it. And so it says in verse 30, What shall we say that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. This is so important. A righteousness that is by faith. They were living sinful lives. Lives of rebellion. But when they heard the good news of Jesus... Christ and they believed it they believed what they heard about Jesus they believed who he was they believed he was God who became man they believed he lived a sinless life they believed he paid for their sins on the cross and rose from the dead they believed it and when they believed it God counted them as righteous as a gift He imputed the righteousness of Christ to them. They weren't righteous on their own, but they attained it. And we we can attain it the same way when we believe in Jesus. God counts us righteous as a gift. Now, the Jews failed to attain this righteousness. Verse 31 says... But that Israel, who pursued a law 
that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. See, this is so important. There's faith. There's works. We, we can attain the righteousness of God when we exercise faith, but we can't get it by works. They pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. The function of the law that God gave Israel was to tell them what God's standards were. It was to lead them to God's righteousness. It was to lead them, but it would not make them righteous. It was, it was to lead them to God's righteousness by showing them they couldn't keep all God's laws. It was to tell them what God's standards were, but it didn't give them the power to keep those standards. It was saying, this is, this is how perfect you have to be to be with God. If you want to try to get to God by keeping laws, you have to keep every single one of them absolutely flawlessly and never break one once. And they thought that if I can just keep trying and just keeping these laws, keeping God's law, uh, eventually God will accept me and I'll be righteous. But no, that's not the way to gain righteousness. It says in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point. Not only, not only that, but the blood sacrifices in the law were to show them they were sinners who needed to have their sins atoned for. See, every time they sacrificed a lamb, every time they sacrificed a, a heifer, every time they sacrificed a bull, and that blood was pouring out, God was saying, see, this is what your sins have brought about it requires a life. Your sins are so bad, they require a life to atone for them. And it was only a temporary thing that was intended to point to the ultimate atonement, the ultimate bloodshed of Jesus Christ. So the law was intended to lead them to the righteousness of Christ. But just trying to keep all that law didn't do it. The only way to the righteousness of God is by faith, not as if it were based on works. In other words, listen closely to this. Some of this may be new for some of you. You cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. I cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. I, I used to think, well, boy, I better... It, I, I hope I have more good things on the scale than bad things because if I have more good things, then God will let me into heaven. No. The only way that we can get into heaven is to have divine righteousness, perfect, flawless righteousness that we receive by faith. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, the way it's set up, it's what, what it says in James, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. One failure wrecks it all. Now, is there anybody in this room, don't put your hand up, 
Is there anybody here who would believe you have never, ever committed one single sin in your life? You believe you've never had one sinful thought? You've never had one sinful attitude? I know you. I know if we're honest, none of us would say that. If somebody says, yeah, I've, I've lived an absolutely sinless life, we would say, you are mentally ill. You are insane. We know that none of us have lived a sinless life. One failure makes us unrighteous. And the Jews failed to obtain this righteousness of God because they stumbled over the stumbling stone. It says they have stumbled over. Over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul is quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah 8.14. And that says, 8.13-15 says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Well, first of all, this says he will become a sanctuary. See, there's a, there's a really good thing in this verse, and there's a really bad thing. It says, God will become a sanctuary. This, this says, God, God is saying, I myself will become a temple in Jerusalem. Now, do you remember what Jesus said when he was in the temple? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And he was talking about the temple of his body. Jesus was saying, I'm the temple. I'm your sanctuary. I'm the one that you should come to. And this, that's where you'll encounter God. The temple, the temple was where they would encounter God. And Jesus, in the midst of the temple, said, I am the temple. Destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. And you know what happened? They stumbled over that. Just like Isaiah said. They stumbled over it. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I'm in laying, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus said, I'm the temple. I'm the place you encounter God. And he was the stumbling stone. They said, who is this guy to say he's going to destroy this temple? It took us 46 years to build this temple. Now you're saying he's going to do it in three days, rebuild it in three days. And they were offended at Jesus. And the Jews stumbled at what Jesus claimed. When Jesus claimed he was God, when he was one with the Father, he was the Son of God, they stumbled over him. But God... You know what? God didn't lay the stumbling stone in Jerusalem because he loves to trip people up. God isn't saying, oh, I can't wait to make these people mess up. I can't wait to trip these people up. God isn't like that. So he says, I'll be a sanctuary. And then in Isaiah 28:16 it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who's laid as a foundation in Zion a stone 
a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And that word to be in haste means hasten away or flee or be disturbed or be stricken with panic or be in, it's it's saying whoever believes in this stone will be unshakable whoever believes in this precious cornerstone won't run away in panic when the enemies come that's what he was saying in Isaiah's day Isaiah was saying judgment is coming on this land the Assyrians are coming on this land Babylonians are coming. Whoever trusts in my cornerstone, though, won't be shaken. You won't flee away in haste. So God God says, Jesus, it's Jesus. He's the stone. He's the stumbling stone for some. He's the cornerstone for others. You know what? People in the world are fine with you talking about God. But if you start to talk about Jesus, very often they stumble. It's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the sanctuary. And it says, again and again, it says, whoever believes... Whoever believes, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock and a fence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes will not be in haste and won't panic when the enemies come. Whoever believes, that's how we receive the cornerstone. Whoever believes in him. And Paul says the Jews in Jesus' day refused to believe in Jesus. They were offended over the truth that they weren't righteous by their works. They were offended that they should have to believe in Jesus to be given the righteousness of God, counted righteous by God. So Jesus... Jesus, listen listen closely to this. Jesus is either a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, or he is the precious cornerstone and sure foundation of your life. He's either the cornerstone and sure foundation if you believe in Jesus, or he's a stumbling stone. If you're counting on your own goodness in God's sight, if you're counting on your own righteousness, if you don't believe in Jesus, the precious cornerstone, you will stumble and be put to shame. You will suffer shame and and you'll suffer in this life. And if you continue to reject Jesus, you will suffer condemnation in eternity, in hell. But if you believe in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, It says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Did you see that word, whoever? Whoever believes in him. Did you see the word whoever? You know what that means? The worst sinner in the world 
who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. That means if you've done horrible things in your life, if you've sinned in horrible ways, if you believe in Jesus, He will become your cornerstone. He will become your sanctuary. He will become your refuge. He'll become your rock of a sure foundation in your life. Now, Paul prays for the Jews who are rejecting Jesus. Paul prays for them. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, do you remember in chapter 9, God, Paul said, God chooses who he will save before the foundation of the world. This was a struggle for people. They would say, how can God just choose people before they're even born? How can he choose people? And, and people struggle with that. And Paul says, Paul says, God has predestined some for salvation. I've chosen some before the foundation of the world. But Paul says, you know what? That does not stop me from praying for people, though. See, as we've, as we've gone through this series and as we've taught at times on God's predestined and choosing people from eternity whom he will save, people will say, well, if that's the case, why even bother praying for people? Why preach the gospel? What's the point of the sharing the gospel? Why, if God already has chosen who he's going to save? Well, that didn't stop Paul from praying. See, when I pray for loved ones, when I pray for family members, when I pray for people to be saved, I don't think, boy, I wonder if God's chosen them to be saved or not. You know what I think? I think if God has put it on my heart to pray for them, that perhaps he's chosen them and that he intends to use my prayers as a means of bringing his gospel to them and saving them. See, God, God says our prayers really do make a difference. And Paul prayed for his fellow Jews even though they were rejecting Jesus. So pray for your families. Pray for your children to be saved. Pray for your grandchildren to be saved. Pray that God will save your neighbors, your co-workers. Pray for them. I pray, at least, at least weekly, I pray that God would save every single one of my descendants in the future until he comes back. I don't know how long that will be. If it's 10,000 years, I'm, I'm just asking God. Because God told Moses, I show, I, I'll punish people for their rejection of me to the third and fourth generation, but I show mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me. So I pray, Lord, please show your mercy to every single one of my descendants. Until you come back, I pray you would save everyone. And I would encourage you to do that too. God hears our prayers. Don't. Don't let the teaching of God's choosing stop you from praying. Paul didn't. Now, we only have two choices in life when it comes to righteousness. We can submit to the righteousness of God, or we can try to establish our own righteousness by keeping the law. And so Paul says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what Paul's saying is this. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to go to church. Going to church doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't make you righteous. Doing good things doesn't make you righteous. See, the Jews believed in God. He says, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God. They had a kind of a zeal for God, but it was not according to knowledge. Or the NIV says their zeal was not based on knowledge. There's lots of people in the world have a zeal for God, but it's misdirected. For many years, my dad and mom had a zeal for God. My dad would get up every morning and walk to the Catholic Church and go to 6 o'clock Mass every single weekday thinking it would make him righteous with God. My mom, I remember my mom confronting a woman about her drunkenness, but their zeal for God was not according to knowledge. And they didn't realize they were doing what the Jews were doing. It says, verse 3, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. My parents were ignorant of the free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. They sought to establish their own And in doing that, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Sometimes, this is so important, sometimes Christians can seek to establish their own righteousness for their salvation and for assurance of salvation by looking to their works instead of looking to their faith in Christ's works. Bible says, when we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, has eternal life, shall have eternal life. When we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. God declares us righteous as a free gift, apart from any works. But then we start to think somehow, okay, now you better start doing good works to prove you're righteous. And if we fail to see these good works, we can start to think, well, maybe we're not saved. And if we, we, you, we've all struggled at times. We all know Christians who have struggled at times. Someone's struggling and they're falling into a sin. And, and, and we can start to think, well, maybe, they, maybe they're not really saved. Well, they, they believed in Jesus. They cried out to Him. They, they earnestly believed in Jesus. They're saved by faith. Now, we should do good works. The Bible says, I urge your people, Paul told Timothy, urge our people to be zealous for good works. We should be zealous for good works because we want to glorify God as disciples of Jesus because He has declared us righteous. Not to prove we're righteous, not to establish our own righteousness, but because in Christ we are righteous through faith. And faith alone. We are not righteous because of any works we do before we're saved or after we're saved. 
We should do good works. In fact, Jesus has promised, I've been thinking about this so much lately, Jesus has promised to reward us for our good works. He says if you give a disciple a drink of cold water, you won't lose your reward. He'll reward every prayer we say, every good deed we do in the name of Jesus, every person we help, every husband who serves his wife, every wife who serves her husband, every parent who tries their best to bless their children, every person who works heartily is under the Lord at work. You may be in a miserable job and you say, Lord, I'm just going to try my best to do this as unto you. God will reward you. We, I can't wait to see the rewards God heaps upon us. But it's not because when we do those things, it's not to try to make us more righteous. We can't get any more righteous than the moment we believe in Jesus and He gives us the righteousness of Christ. So yes, work hard for Jesus. Work hard for Jesus. But don't ever think, oh, yeah, now I'm becoming more righteous. No. No. Go for the rewards. Go after the rewards. Go after pleasing Jesus. Go after Go after that. Serve your guts out. I want us to be a church that works and is zealous for good works. But I don't want any of us to think, oh, yeah, now that proves I'm righteous. That makes me righteous. No. We don't want to do what the Jews did. They sought to establish their own righteousness. Now, don't sin either. If we commit sins as believers, we don't lose the righteousness of Christ. But we may experience serious consequences for those sins. Because God disciplines His children because He loves us. So don't sin. Don't think, well, I'm, I'm declared righteous. I, I can't lose that righteousness. I'm, I'm permanently righteous because I have believed in Jesus. Now I can sin. Well, you can sin, and I don't believe you would lose your righteousness, but I believe God could seriously discipline you. You could have serious bad things happen to you in your life if you are sinning. Don't sin. Fear God. Be, pursue holiness. See, over and over again, the Bible says, don't present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And Paul doesn't say, don't present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness because then you won't be righteous. No, he's saying, because you are righteous in Christ, act like it. Act like what you are. Because you are righteous in Christ, act like it. Do good things, but not to make you righteous. Can you tell I'm excited about this topic? (laughs) See, it says, Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, this, this has kind of two meanings. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. That means he's the aim of the law. He was the goal of the law. And so it says in Galatians 2, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. So what this means is the law held us captive. It was our prison guard. It didn't give us righteousness, but every time we broke it, it condemned us. It locked us up. So the aim of the law was to show us our desperate need for Jesus and his righteousness. Because I can't get it this way by trying to keep the law. The law is just my guardian. It keeps bringing me back saying, here's what you need. You need the righteousness of Christ. Because you can't keep this. And so the aim of the law was to show us our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. And Jesus fulfilled it. He's the end of the law. It doesn't mean, when he says the end of the law, it doesn't mean he has gotten rid of the law. He fulfilled it for us. And so in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't get rid of the law. He didn't get rid of the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled it for us. He fulfilled every iota, every jot, every dot. See, If you want to try to be righteous by keeping the law, you have to keep every dot, every iota. You can't mess up once. Imagine this. Imagine a mountain ten times higher than Mount Everest, which is 29,000 feet tall. We'll call it Mount Righteousness. If you can make it to the top of Mount Righteousness without falling or messing up once, you'll be righteous. See, the the thing that's different about Mount Righteousness than Mount Everest is you can climb Mount Everest, and many people have climbed Mount Everest, I've read about it, and made mistakes that cost them their life. Many people have climbed Mount Everest and made bad mistakes, and they could have died, God spared them, and they, and they lived. But on Mount Righteousness, you can't make a single mistake. If you make one mistake, you fall 290,000 feet. And that's like what the Jews were trying to do. They're trying to establish their own righteousness by keeping every iota and dot of the law, and they couldn't do it. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. He kept every dot. He climbed Mount Righteousness. He didn't slip up once, no matter how much Satan attempted him, no matter what temptations the enemy threw at him. For 33 years, he made it to the top of Mount Righteousness. And he did that for us. And when we believe in Jesus, he says, I will count all I did to you. You have made it to the top of Mount Righteousness. And suddenly we're standing on the top of Mount Righteousness because Jesus made it for us. Christ is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ we have the very righteousness of God. Now that is such incredible good news. When you walk out of here today, no matter what you've done, if you have believed in Jesus, God sees you as righteous. You can say, Lord, I I don't deserve for you to see me this way. I wasn't looking for it, but you have declared this. You see me this way. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's such a wonderful thing to know that when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous as Christ. Because I could be tempted to think, oh, if God looks at me, he's going to see every one of my failures, everything I have not done right. No. Jesus paid for all those. He paid for them. They are gone as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our sins from us. So, this is so encouraging because now let's walk out this righteousness. Let's walk it out. And so Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, for the rest of our lives, let's seek to observe what Jesus taught us and what he teaches us. Let's obey Jesus. Let's become disciples. Let's be disciples. Let's follow him. Let's seek to obey everything he's commanded us. Why? Not to get righteous but because we are righteous in Christ. Let's be what we are. And that's how we can encourage one another. That's, a, that's how we can encourage one another if someone's in sin, if someone's committing a sin. We can say, hey, you believe in Jesus. Now this sin could bring consequences into your life. We're, we, we're serving a holy God. He doesn't take sin lightly. But we don't have to say, hey, you're committing this sin. You might not be a Christian. But we can encourage one another to walk in holiness. We can encourage and exhort. And God wants us to. Seriously. He wants us to be serious about this life. He wants us to be serious about holiness. He wants us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel and walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And I don't want to have consequences in my life of, of sin. Even though, you know, I know I'm, I'm righteous in Christ, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to fear God and just do anything I want. And the Bible says that when we do sin, when we do fail, just confess our sins. And and it says Jesus will cleanse us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness because we're all going to still sin, even when we're pursuing to live in a way that glorifies God. So, let's stand, let's pray, let's rejoice in this work that God has done for us. Lord, Lord Jesus, 
thank you for your righteousness that you give us as a gift. We love you. We love you. We believe in you. Lord, help anyone today who has never believed in you. Help them today, right now, to believe who you are and what you've done. Lord, we just thank you that you count us righteous. We can barely grasp this, Lord. This is, we just keep falling so many times into wrong thinking. But we thank you, Lord. You have declared us righteous in Christ. Through faith alone and not works. We love you, Lord. Lord, give us joy today as we, as we think about this. Thank you. In Jesus' name.